0: Today on Ag News
1: Daily.
2: Usually what we have is that the deferred contracts are a little higher priced, meaning there's some carry. That's just a normal market. It's just how much carry is how bearish or bullish the the, the, uh, futures market
0: is. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Monday from the Ag News Daily podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell and Delaney We got about 8 inches of snow down here in Lubbock yesterday, so it's been a pretty cold morning. I actually went out on the roads this morning, and I've got to say, again, just to reiterate, I am not cut out for the snow.
1: (laughs) And 8 inches, I would think, for you guys is like a lot, like blizzard conditions probably, I'm guessing. Is that right?
0: Yeah, so yesterday is when we got, or I guess late Saturday night, early Sunday morning is when we got the majority of it, but it snowed well into the afternoon yesterday, and I went to leave yesterday to leave my apartment, and I couldn't make it out of my driveway, so I just turned back around and went inside, didn't leave, and then this morning I had a doctor's appointment, and I was able to leave, but I almost didn't get out of my parking spot at the doctor's office.
1: Wow, that's pretty bad for you guys down there. You don't know how to drive in the snow or how to react to the snow, huh?
0: Oh, absolutely not. And even when we get just a little bit of like ice or something like that, there's a ton of wrecks around town because people just don't know how to drive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. well, you don't have to have a lot of snow, luckily, around down there. So folks just aren't probably used to it. But I'm glad you brought up weather, Ashton. We're going to talk about weather. A little bit more, hopefully, later on the podcast this week, if not next week, talking about long-term, what does weather look like for folks in different parts of the country as we start to kind of think about spring planting already. But I also wanted to mention weather here because as you look at commodity markets today, we definitely saw things moving and shaking uh, to the downside for the soybean and corn industries. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more with Darren Newsome here coming up for this Market Monday episode. But overnight, we saw soybean futures rose about 1% to about $1,389 a bushel. And this morning, prices took a turn, dropping almost 30 cents at one point to about $1,357. Uh, thankfully, soybeans have recovered for the most part, as has corn. But a lot of this market turnaround is likely Due to the fact that Argentina is reopening their grain exports. And that is weighing heavier right now on the markets than weather certainly is down there in South America. But we'll get Darren Newsom's take here in just a little while.
0: Well, Delaney, in honor of National Milk Day today, I have some feel good news from the dairy industry, at least in Michigan. The United Dairy Industry of Michigan says that the checkoff was able to maintain its mission of connecting the consumers and building trust during 2020 while adapting quickly throughout the pandemic. Jolene Griffin says that helping connect food banks to a constant supply of dairy products and securing refrigeration equipment in turn created a pilot grant program for farmers to nominate local food banks for coolers. The organization donated $375,000 to food banks across the state to help with food distribution, connected local processors to food banks, and created several grants to keep milk flowing to those in need. Griffin says they also worked with processors and grocery stores to remove limits on dairy products during the start of the pandemic. She says the checkoff also moved promotion efforts to virtual virtual platforms, resulting in more than 58 million impressions throughout the year to connect with consumers on the benefits of dairy and how it's produced.
1: Well, to add to that news, Ashton, you know, talking about a little more specifically monetary contributions, we are seeing not being made yet, other than the $600 stimulus check, which folks have probably received in their inboxes already, or if not, their mailboxes than already in their bank accounts. But as far as aid goes here, you know, more monetarily focused for 2021 speaking to reporters last Friday, president elect Joe Biden said that his administration is going to favor an economic recovery approach that sets aside trillions of dollars, trillions with a T compared to billions that we have seen under this current administration. Biden said that his transition team is working to release its own proposed stimulus plan later this week and is expecting it to include $2,000 stimulus payments to folks don't know what those specifics will be, whether they will be again to folks making less than $75,000 or not. But he's saying again that The price tag on the proposed things that he wants to see roll out are going to be trillions of dollars, which, you know, I'm sure part of that's going to be helping with programs like this one, Ashton, you just mentioned there, getting uh, food and fiber and fuel to folks, but also, again, direct payments to see happen. So I, I don't know what to make of all that. I hope that we don't ever have the price tag due on that. Because that's a lot of money that the uh, government will be spending on that if it does indeed go through.
0: It certainly is a lot of money, like you said, Delaney Trillion, with a T. But I just shared some good news for the dairy industry. But unfortunately, I have some bad news for the coffee industry. And I'm a coffee drinker myself. So this one hit me in the heart just a little bit. The Allegra World Coffee Portal, a uh, research and consultancy firm, said that U.S.-branded coffee shops will only return to pre-pandemic sales levels in 2023 after the COVID-19 pandemic wiped out nearly a quarter of their turnover last year in 2020. The firm estimates sales at U.S.-branded coffee shops like Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know know, if y'all have a big coffee store up there in Iowa, Delaney. I'm personally a Dunkin' fan. Yeah, we've got
1: a lot of those.
0: (laughs) We don't have too many of them down here in Texas, but I do kind of prefer Dunkin' over Starbucks, at least personally. But those sales fell 24% last year, to $36 billion and will only grow to about $40 billion this year, which is below 2019 levels. The firm also says that 208 out of a total of 37,189 branded coffee stores closed shop permanently last year, which is equivalent to about 0.6% of the market. And now that doesn't seem like too big of a percentage or anything like that, but those sales aren't going to be really beginning to stabilize until this summer of 2021, However, it's going to take a number of years for coffee shops to fully readjust to, you know, the new normal
1: and get back to where they were pre-pandemic. Absolutely. I think a lot of industries are going to be facing that one. And here's an industry, Ashton, that has had some issues, but not necessarily COVID-related. Pilgrim's Pride has agreed to pay $75 million to chicken buyers to settle the claims that this second-largest American poultry producer has fixed prices, according to a U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filing that happened just today on Monday. This company is, of course, a unit of uh, the Brazilian meat giant's GBS South America. And so while they didn't admit to wrongdoing as part of their broiler antitrust settlement they did admit that they will be paying out a settlement to folks for their alleged price-fixing. Um, and this payment will be reflected in Pilgrim's fourth quarter results. So in October, they agreed to pay million million in a fine as a plea deal, and this is a continued payout as part of that alleged price-fixing settlements. But I believe, up to date now, only JBS and JBS – subsidiaries have agreed to any sort of price payment or settlement underneath this alleged price action, price-fixing suit that's going on really kind of industry-wide for proteins.
0: Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news to share for the day. Coming out of China, the country is set to approve the safety of another GMO corn variety and a GMO soybean both produced by Beijing Debanong Technology Group. This news comes just a year after China approved three domestically designed GMO crops as safe as a push towards commercial planting in the country. From, let me pick that up. Beijing hasn't approved of planting GMO soybeans or corn varieties, but permits their import for animal feed. However, the Chinese government has recently stated that they support biotechnology effort to increase food security, leading the industry to anticipate progress towards commercialization. So from from what I understand, they aren't permitting farmers to actually plant these GMO varieties, but they are deeming them safe
1: for import. Well, that's at least a good first step in the right direction then.
0: I would say so, especially they make this point, the government, the Chinese government make this point about biotechnology and food security. And especially, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, I think that's been a big concern for a lot of countries. So I definitely think that is a good thing to consider.
1: It certainly is. And, Ashton, before we talk markets here, I want to chat just really quickly. We've got, of course, tomorrow's WASDE report, which will be dropped at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Just a few quick numbers to run through here ahead of that report. Starting off here, I want to take a look at U.S. ending stocks for the 2020-2021 marketing year. Average trade estimates are pegging corn at a 1.599 billion bushel ending stocks number, and soybeans at a 1.3 million bushel carryover number. So basically, the big the big gist of this here is that the trade, average trade estimates, are expecting, and I'll say that again, the trade estimates are expecting on both corn and soybeans and even slightly on wheat to see lower numbers than what we saw USDA put forth in the December WASDE report whether or not that's going to be extremely bullish I think remains to be in question because the trade if you know analysts are thinking this the trade probably already factored this out the big surprise for tomorrow would be if in fact USDA comes forth and gives us even lower numbers than what the trade was expecting and that's always possible because we never can really predict what's going on right now with the USDA Um, As far as South American production goes, we're expected to see lowered numbers there pretty much across the board as well in Argentina corn production numbers, soybean numbers, as well as Brazilian corn and soybean numbers there too. We're expecting to see really lower numbers across the board for both domestic and global production. So that could be somewhat neutral to friendly ahead of or for tomorrow's report. But like I mentioned earlier, Ashton, Today's markets really weren't quite sure how to trade ahead of that report. So, what do you say we talk markets quickly here before we get to our conversation with Darren Newsom?
0: Let's do it, Delaney.
1: All right. Well, looking off here, kicking things off with the March corn contract down four and a half cents today to close at four ninety one and three quarters. The D's down a half a cent to close at four forty. In the soybean pits, the March contract shedding two pennies today to close at thirteen seventy two and three quarters. The no. The November down six and three quarters to close at eleven fifty-five. Chicago wheat March contract pulling down three cents today to close at six thirty-five and three quarters. The Dece down three cents to end at six thirty-eight and three quarters. Hoping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. Live cattle lower today as the February contract shed a dollar oh seven and a half to close at one thirteen forty. The April down ninety-five to close at one eighteen thirty-five. And feeder cattle. Higher on the day as the March contract, well I should say mixed really today, as the March contract added seven cents to end at 136.90, the April down a nickel to close at 139.02 and a half. Lean hogs were also mixed today as February closed 22.5 cents lower to close at 68.47. The April up 12.5 to close at 72.95. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. February 25 cents lower today to close at 19.45. The March down just two pennies to close at 19.05. Without further ado, Ashen, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, as promised, I am joined today by Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, thanks for joining us today. It's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast.
2: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on again, Delaney.
1: (laughs) Darren, we talked about the YZ report earlier on the podcast. You're not a big reports guy, so let's not even touch on that report. Mm-hmm. Let's just dive right into things here. And, you know, if you look at big picture, technical and fundamentals, and things are looking pretty favorable across the boards, especially in the grain markets. Is there any indication to you that trouble is ahead or do you think that grains really have full steam ahead?
2: you know we we've seen full steam ahead and uh you know we do have i mean you, you mentioned you mentioned USDA reports coming out the, the real fundamentals rather than the imaginary but the real fundamentals of the markets are actually quite bullish right now uh we've got a forward curve in soybeans that is inverted as far out as you want to look we've got if if we've got any carry in the corn market, it's very weak. So everything's indicating that that's bullish. We're even seeing a bullish supply and demand situation in wheat when we look at spreads and basis. So you know we we've seen this developing most of it since uh, say August to you know early September, and it continues today. And so you know once we get past uh, the silliness that is tomorrow. Um, you know, it's not going to change anything. We're not all of a sudden going to say, you know, real fundamentals of soybeans are bullish or excuse me, bearish or or anything like that. But there is concern, and I think last week's last week's CFTC reports. And I look at Legacy Futures only. Uh, the incredible 520 some thousand contracts of net long futures uh, in corn. That's really what jumps out to me the most. That if we start to see just a slowdown, or just you know, maybe maybe just a pause in the commercial buying in the corn market. That could be a trigger that starts some long liquidation on the non-commercial side in corn, and that's really the only concern out there I see at this point.
1: Okay, I want to unpack a few of those things a little more in depth here. Let's start out talking. <laughs> you, you mentioned the forward curve in the soybean markets. Yes. Tell us what you mean by that. What are you watching?
2: All right, it's it's my good friend the spreads and and. Uh, I, I, you know, I know folks are rolling their eyes when I say that, but what but what a forward curve is, is if you look at each contract, so let's say in, in the corn market right now, we're looking at 2020 2021 We look at how the March uh, price relates, how the March contract relates to May and May to July, and s- uh, same thing in soybeans. And And if we see, so a forward curve is just a combination of spreads. And usually what we have is that the deferred contracts are a little higher priced, meaning there's some carry. That's just a normal market. And it's just how much carry is how bearish or bullish the the, the, uh, futures market is, or the fundamentals are. But what we've got right now, particularly in the soybean market, is it's the nearby contracts that are higher priced than the deferred. So you have what's called an inverted forward curve. And when you get that sort of situation, it's usually short-lived, but we've seen it for quite some time now. Uh, usually, it's just a short supply situation. But in soybeans, this time around, it's different. And it changed. It started to change this past spring and kicked into full gear late summer, early fall. And now, and I've been doing this for 30-some years, I've never seen a supply and demand situation, a real supply and demand situation as bullish as what I see in soybeans right now because of the inverted forward curve for as far out as we want to look.
1: So I assume, Darren, it's safe to say that you've also never seen an, inver- an inverted forward curve like this before in your years of trading.
2: Not in soybeans uh, and, and really not in the grain and oilseed complex. I've, I've seen it some, you know, we, we've seen it in the energy complex. uh um, is really the only other place where i might have seen it and if i if i think about just grains uh, the only year that comes close was 2013-14 marketing year in soybeans when you know usda and its misinformation kept saying we had x amount of ending stocks, blah 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 month after month until the final quarterly stocks number in september when they dropped it below 100, Now it's the only time we've ever been below 100 million bushels at, an, at the end of a year, at the end of a marketing year. And that's what the spreads are telling us. And this time around, this time around, it looks even tighter. And now I'm not a big ending stocks guy. What we're looking at is ending stocks to use. That time around, ending stocks to use was about 4% or something like that. My guess at this point, 1% to 2%, tops is what we're looking at in soybeans that is incredibly tight there's not a lot of wiggle room when you get down to that
1: right which means if we see in fact uh some sort of weather issue here in the united states we do see production numbers a lot lower down in south america that means ending stocks or supplies are even tighter yet which leads me to my next question darren with this variance in spreads right now, you know, you look at the January and the March, they're up in the $13 range. November new crop is in the just you know eleven fifty-five range. Mm-hmm. What what are we gonna see happen here? Are we gonna see November have to come up to higher levels or are we gonna see things fall off the board in January, March in the subsequent months closer to that eleven fifty five number?
2: You know theoretically. You know, I've got what I call the down escalator situation. Well, it's also an up escalator situation. So when you get into an inverted situation like this in the forward curve and you have a contract like we just had, you know, we had November go off the board. Now we've got January that's going to be going off the board here in a couple of weeks. And what we're doing is we're just continuing to push up. So you'll see the March pushing up into where the January is and we'll see the May push up to where the March is. If we don't change the fundamental situation, and, you know, almost regardless now of what Brazil produces, then that would indicate, and I had this this, uh, uh, conversation with a good friend here this morning, that would indicate the November 2021 contract probably undervalued at this point, because we have not seen the spreads change. We are not seeing any indication that it's going to all of a sudden get bearish. So that would indicate that the deferred contracts are going to continue to move up just as an up escalator as each step, you know, goes up to where the previous one went off. That's the situation that we've got in soybeans at this point.
1: You're probably hating this, Darren, since you're kind of nicknamed as like Mr. Doomsday, right? (laughs) I'm just teasing you.
2: (laughs) I I understand. And, And that's always what amazed me. All the years that I've been doing this is that there are times. I am bearish, and I'm known to be bearish. Why was that? Because the markets were bearish. And I wasn't out there telling everybody that the markets were bullish when everything was bearish. But at the time, it's like if we go back to 2013-14, I was one of the most bullish soybean analysts out there. I was telling people the situation is much tighter than what they're telling. Look at the spreads. Do this. And that's what it turned out. We turned out to have 100 million bushels or less uh, of soybeans. So do I sound like a stark raving market bull <laughs> at this point? Absolutely. Uh, but as I said, I've in, in 30 some years of doing this, I have not seen a setup like this in the grain markets like what we have right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so then when you look at the corn market, you said really the only thing that would cause you some pause would be if you watch funds liquidate those long positions. Can you expand on that for us?
2: Yeah. yeah. One of the things I was talking about with folks all last week is that we were starting to see basis start to crack a little bit, looking at national average basis start to crack a little bit. It was only down about a half a cent for the week. And it doesn't sound like much, but it was enough to really kind of get your attention and just the opposite of what i've been talking about in in soybeans in the corn market we saw the future spreads they're still bullish but they're not as bullish as they were before they're starting to trend down in other words inverses are weakening or small carries are starting to strengthen so we've got some commercial pressure in this market and since we have what has been reported as a record large net long position uh, as of the last CFTC reports, all of a sudden, we've got what's called a rubber band situation going on, a rubber band disposition, where the commercial side's going one way, the non-commercial side's going the other. That can't last forever. And the tighter that rubber band stretches, at some point, it's going to break. And when it does, it usually snaps back to its fundamentals. So if the fundamentals, if we continue to see some commercial pressure on this corn market and non-commercial traders continue to load up and and, and and build their position. At some point, they're going to start getting out. They're going to start selling. And when they do, there's nothing underneath this market until it comes back to where the commercial traders start to get interested again. And so that is my concern, is that we're stretching this rubber band. And at some point, it's going to break. And it's going to lead to some long liquidation.
1: So... What is going to be your red flag for long liquidation? I mean, are we talking like a couple thousand contracts that we, you know, close out of or are you talking hundreds of thousands? And that's the red flag to say, eh, things are looking like they're going to turn around here.
2: With fundamentals still bullish, you know, we could be talking about tens of thousands of contracts and it's probably not going to make the market blink that much, you know, it's not going to probably cause that much of a change in the market. We could see it come down 20, 30, 40 cents. But if we see a dramatic change, if we see basis really start to fall back, if we see future spreads not just go to a weak carry, but now they're starting to break it, you know, they're breaking out of that bullish range of cost of carry, and they're, and they're getting deeper into the carry market, that's when we could start to be talking about hundreds of thousands of contracts. At that point, then I think there is a lot to do. Uh, I think there's a lot that we have to be concerned about. One of the triggers that I'll be looking for is, uh, from a technical point of view, would be four-week lows. You know, so if we go and we take out a four a previous four-week low, they're a long way back there right now, so we really don't have to worry about it. That would be a reversal pattern that I would be concerned about. But you know, it, there's a lot that has to play out, uh, and it all starts with you know what's basis doing, what are spreads doing. And does this increase the risk of all of a sudden coming into into work one morning and non-commercial traders are unloading the boat?
1: All right. Well, Darren, I hate to cut wheat short, but I want to talk livestock here before we Mm -hmm. let you go. I just wrote something earlier this morning that showed beef exports were at record numbers or U.S. beef exports in November and December were at record numbers, yet you know, beef have been kind of stagnant at these levels, or is it just mm-hmm. kind of time of year? We're not eating as much beef, or is there something bigger going on here?
2: Well, you know, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of cattle on feed. Uh, you know, for those, again, who, who look at the cattle on feed numbers, we've seen extraordinarily high numbers basically going back to September, but we have seen placement numbers start to come down. And yes, again, we can read the fundamentals by looking at the spreads. And I was going over this last night over, over the course of the weekend. You know, I, I can look at the, I can look at the Feb, April, April, June, June, August, August, October, and they're all bearish. All these spreads are bearish. They're all running ble- so far below where they normally do right now that it's indicating that the traders, at the commercial side of the market, again, is concerned about the supply of cattle that we have on hand, the supply of beef that we have on hand. Could this change long term if placement numbers continue to come down if demand continues to export demand and so on continues to stay strong? absolutely this could continue uh we We could start to see those spreads change a little bit, but right now, I think what we 've got going on in the cattle market is overall just a bearish supply and demand situation it's really kind of kept the lid on what the futures have been able to do, and it could it could break the futures back a little bit, particularly if the actual cash markets start to move lower again.
1: And what's the story, Darren, when you look at uh, lean hogs here to finish things out for today?
2: Yeah, the lean hogs just went through a bit of a change. I I posted a chart on those this morning. Uh, I was not enamored with last week's activity. Uh, We haven't seen a bearish pattern in, uh, you know, a technical pattern in hogs for quite some time. And we finally in the Fed contract last week. The good thing about that is that, FEB's only going to be relevant for another couple of weeks, and it wasn't quite as bearish in the the April contract. We've seen extremely bullish fundamentals for quite some time in the hog market, but those are starting to cool off a little bit, again, looking at the FEB-April spread. So I think that we've still got some bullish fundamentals in the hog market. I think it's going to continue to provide support. We could just see some money start to come off the table, a little bit of selling in this market that time of year. Uh, but I'm not really looking for the market to crash at this point.
1: Well, Darren, fantastic! Before I let you go, if folks want to interact with you or get some more of your thoughts, how can they do that?
2: Uh, you, you know, the easiest way to do it is to go to our website, uh, DarrenNewsom.com, dot com, and they can contact me through there. They've got my email at that point. They've got our Twitter address, uh, and so they can they can take a look around. We've got a seven day free trial. Uh, They can sign up for, uh, again, they can can look to see what all we're posting in our commentary and our our analysis. See if there's something they like. Uh, For folks who aren't familiar with me, it's hard to believe, but there could still be some out there. Uh, It could introduce them to the way we like to look at things.
1: Absolutely, Darren. And you definitely have a unique way of looking at things. That's for sure. That's why we have you (laughs) on the podcast. But thanks again for joining us today. Well, again, a big thank you there to Darren Newsome. Always a pleasure to have him on the podcast and be sure to follow along with him on social media. He's always tweeting and sharing good things. I guess I should say following him on Twitter. I don't know that he's on any other platforms, but you can find Ag News Daily on lots of different platforms, including Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at Ag News Daily. Ashen. with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.